Welcome to Layers of Film, the show where mediocre people discuss masterful films the first Monday of each month. I'm your host, Austin Killian, joined by my co-host, Big T. Big T, what's what's crack-a-lacking, dude? <laughs> Nothing. Happy Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. Movie Monday. Sweet deal. Nothing uh, nothing exciting happened in the past month and a half? Um, Not that I can think of. Really? New year, new me. New you. Do you feel like you, you have a new you going on? <laughs> I'm alive still. That's all that's important. <laughs> Most of us are just alive still. I, what did you think about, for some reason it was just kind of like annoying to me, um, seeing on Twitter or whatever, people saying like, oh, when you realize 2022 is spelt 2020 <laughs> and then T-O-O. Like, how do you feel about that? Do you feel like it's going to be that same type of year or not? Um, I mean, by the looks of how the year has started, I don't think we're going to get... Uh, out of the trenches, but who knows? Maybe we will. I think it'll be an all right year. I think uh, I think people should have uh, things to look forward to. Hopefully, this year. I mean, for me, it's it's all about the Batman coming out in like the next month or so. So yeah, I just saw that it got rated PG thirteen. How do you feel about that? I don't know. I'm still trying to figure that out because I actually really wanted it to be rated R. <laughs> yeah. Just because the way that they're going with uh, Robert Pattinson's Batman, it seemed like it was going to be pretty dark and he's going to be really violent and stuff and i was interested by by that or intrigued by that but i don't know the fact that it's like pg-13 they're probably going to hold back a little bit more on you know some of the stuff that i think is going to make him a really interesting batman because the way that i look at him i i think that this is the first time that we could possibly actually have a batman that everyone really you know that has like a lot of like obviously batman has a lot of depth but i I think that in the past movies, it's always been about the villains, and I think that this might be the first time that like Batman, it's like really about Batman and how dark he is and how he's really just trying to grapple with things and figure out what Batman even is at this point. So I feel like they might pull some punches because of that, but it did get like close to a three-hour runtime. So we're going to, yeah, it's like two hours and 50 minutes, so we're going to get a lot of Batman. You're not into it. I just am really over two plus hour movies like really please can we just go back to like the hour and a half movies why does every movie need to be two plus hours i i agree unless it's about this <laughs> i can see that it's all about pleasing the fans so will the final cut really be almost three hours yeah his original cut matt reeves's original cut was four hours and then they had to trim it down, obviously. And I think this is the most. We're. I bet he's gonna have like a now, like with the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League yeah. and all that stuff. I'm sure. And now I think the Air cut for Suicide Squad, the first one. I think. Uh, I think we're gonna see a trend of directors getting like their huge long cut that they didn't want to, you know, get rid of anything. The one thing. The one thing we needed more in this world was more commentary on movies that are already too long yeah true i mean maybe i'm i'm all for like the directors getting their long cut um because i don't think it really affects people if it's yeah. like on the dvds extra or i agree well there's, there's not really dvds anymore but so like i would love to have a four-hour cut of the batman for sure i would i'm all for it like i i carved out an entire weekend to watch the justice league snyder cut just because i wanted to see what it would even be but was it worth it no, it was just as mediocre, just in different ways, <laughs> and way too long. So do they have, um, is the Robert Pattinson Batman already slotted for multiple movies? Yeah, there should be a trilogy, I think, is what they're planning, for okay. sure. Yeah. 
I yeah I I think when they showed like the first four hour cut to executives and stuff like that, I think it got greenlit to do the next two for sure. So hopefully it does well then. Ah oh, man, I hope so. I I'm I'm hoping that this is gonna end up being like like the new you know Dark Knight like for like trilogy for as awesome as those were. Like I'm hoping that this will be better. I don't know. I have high hopes. I think actually Robert Pattinson's gonna do a really good job. So we'll see. That's good. Yeah. Are you not excited about that movie at all? I'm. I don't know. I don't really follow a lot of superhero movies. I'm just kind of like done with the genre. I feel like it's just. I'm very. Uh, I feel like the market's very inundated with superhero movies, particularly because of Marvel. And so, yeah. I don't know. It's hard to get excited when there's like a new superhero movie every two weeks. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's definitely people all for it. When does it come out though? February 4th. Or sorry, March 4th. Oh, March 4th. Okay, I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, March 4th. So I'm I'm excited. That's, oh, it's so close. I've been waiting for this. Ever, ever since the first trailer, I've just like been super pumped for this movie. Yeah, I remember when you like sent it to me and you were freaking out about it. You so. probably didn't care, but no one cared. I showed so many people that trailer and I was like really looking for reactions and no one cared about that except for That's me. <laughs> but Why do you like Batman so much? He's just dark and he doesn't, I think. I, I usually gravitate towards the superheroes and characters that um, don't really have superpowers, honestly. And I think that just comes from a, like a visual perspective. I like the hand-to-hand combat more than anything. And so like when you see like Superman just like drag someone across a building and flying <laughs> for like hours You're on like, end. Ugh, this again? Yeah, it's like it's the same thing. There's no I don't know. There's no uh, interesting like choreography usually with those types of things. So that's a good point. Yeah. So so I like the hand to hand combat of of Batman, and I think on the Marvel side, usually Spider Man is pretty fun to watch for combat as well. And then Daredevil too. Daredevil's awesome, and he doesn't he he doesn't really have any powers. He just has really good hearing and uh, whatever. <laughs> so yeah. Speaking of main characters without superpowers, have you seen Encanto? Yeah, ish. I don't know. My kids, we put it. They've seen it like hundreds of times already. But <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just kind of like walking in and out. What? Why did you? Do you love it or are you like not into? It? I really liked it. Yeah, it was really good. I just was wondering if you'd seen it or not. I'm not super into the music, to be honest. It's okay. It's too poppy for me. And I like. I love Coco, and everything's really authentic in Coco, it seems like, especially the music. And so going into Encanto, it's like, eh, it's just like really poppy. Lin-Manuel Miranda didn't do Coco, though, right? No, I don't think so. It's definitely like Lin-Manuel Miranda music in Encanto, and so I can see that. It's like very much got his fingerprints all over it. Yeah. Yeah. I Do you like Hamilton? Um, yeah, I, I really liked Hamilton, I think it took me a little while to get used to it. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think it has its issues both as a story and sort of in the larger context of society. But um, yeah, I thought it was really good. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so I mean, like if you're there for that type of stuff, like that's fine. I'm just not. <laughs> I'm really picky about my music and stuff. So I, I think it's one of the most important parts of a film. And if it's not it's not really up to my standards then uh i don't know i'm not really into it but then again this is made for kids and kids love pop music so it totally makes sense yeah it's just a generation yeah um you can ask my wife but i have horrible taste in music horrible standards for music i should say <laughs> i will listen to pretty much anything it just <laughs> as long as it's noise fill in the room yeah i just yeah i don't really 
have high standards for music like you do. So I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, not everything could be a Hans Zimmer masterpiece. So <laughs> like, it's fine. But I don't know. Sometimes it's just whatever. I uh, I I definitely like. I've been warming up to more of the music, but I definitely do not like the strong woman's song i think it's the really? worst song out of the bunch to be honest interesting i've just heard a lot of people really really like that song really yeah it, mm-hmm. that's crazy to me but okay i mean like i well i will say this though like if you listen to the words like i actually really like the words it's really meaningful and impactful for sure and i like it a lot but as far as like the uh, instrumentals and everything goes it's like eh, you could have done better my friend but that's fine yeah I've seen a lot of people talking Whatever. about how like Hollywood is sort of just like bleeding Lin-Manuel Miranda dry like he's worked on so many different projects and stuff that has he yeah I think he's been on I know he worked on Moana he did Encanto he did I think In the Heights um, I know there's I'm sure there's so many other ones that I'm I'm missing but uh People were just saying, like, yeah, when you work on this many projects, like, yeah. one right after the other, you sort of eventually won't run out of steam. So, man, that's crazy. Good, good on that guy. I, I'm not sure exactly what like all of his filmography is, but I just remember him being on like a couple of episodes of House. If you remember that show. Um, oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, well, because like House was in like some kind of mental institution or something like that for a second, and uh, and Lin Manuel. Miranda's oh gosh um his character is in that for a couple of episodes for as long as that thing lasted I didn't know that he like rapped in it or something and I just remember that being way cheesy and uh yeah I can't imagine like a musical <laughs> crossover with house would do very well it was like a talent show and so he like did a rap or something I don't know whatever anyway it was I just remember like who is this guy whatever and uh but now he's I don't know. He's super definitely, famous. yeah. Maybe he was super famous back then, and I just didn't know. But now he's definitely like well known. Yeah, I think Hamilton was really his like breakout moment. Yeah, right. But I know he worked on a ton of stuff before that. But yeah, now he's in like he and The Rock. I feel like are in everything nowadays. <laughs> well, The Rock's just trying to chase that money, man. He's a he's he's a successful dude, and he's just chasing because the movies that he does aren't that good. But. <laughs> He's getting that money, you know? That's true. Sweet deal. Anything else you wanted to talk about before we get into this bad boy? Uh, no, I think I'm, I'm ready to have a good discussion. Oh, heck yeah. All right, sweet deal. Well, without further ado, let's get into the film introduction. Um, we are obviously talking about Alien today, the 1979 sci-fi classic, released May 25th. 1979. The synopsis is, after a space merchant vessel receives an unknown transmission as a distress call, one of the crew is attacked by a mysterious life form, and they soon realize that its life cycle has merely begun. That's a, that's a pretty good synopsis. Uh, directed by Ridley Scott, written by Dan O'Bannon, composed by Jerry Goldsmith. The big actors in this movie is Sigourney Weaver, widely known in her role as Sigourney Weaver in... Finding Dory. Exactly. That's the one that she's the only known for. Yeah. That's that's, that's all I know. That's her what from. got her her Hollywood star. <laughs> like five years ago or four years ago. <laughs> uh, she plays Ripley. Um, also, there's Tom Skerritt as Dallas and John Hurt as Kane, amongst a bunch of uh, other actors. Uh, the budget for this film was $11 million, and the box office earnings was $106.3 million. And uh, you can watch this on Prime Video for free at the moment. Um, as we are doing this episode, maybe that won't be the case in the future. Big T, 
You and I had never seen this movie before. Oh, I didn't realize. I thought you had seen it before. I have never seen this movie before. I've never seen Aliens or anything. Since I, You haven't seen any of the Alien franchise movies? No, this is my first Alien franchise movie. Really? Okay. Have you seen this one? I've not seen this one. I, this is going to be embarrassing for me, but I remember I went to go see Alien versus Predator or one of the Alien movies in high school. And I got too scared not to leave the movie theater. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Did you at least, like, leave early enough to get your money back? No, I don't think so. <laughs> but I will say, when I was younger, I had a really hard time processing scary movies. Like, they really, really affected me. I know you had a hard time with video games, too. Like, it was either you or your brother. I, I think I remember you guys, or one of you guys, saying that it was hard for you to play, like, super... Like scary or like violent video games. Oh yeah, yeah. I yeah. we had this whole conversation because of um, Nazi zombies. Yeah, I really wanted to make a Nazi zombies movie. No, the 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 video game of, for oh, the, yeah. the Call of Duty, whatever. We can never we get past like level three because I would just have I would just freak out. I, <laughs> I would just panic. Oh, that was that was a pretty scary video game. Honestly, that's true. That's yeah. true. But um, no. So this was the first like alien movie that I had re- that I really sat through. I'd obviously seen references in pop culture and stuff, but yeah. I'd never really fully seen any of the other alien franchise movies. So I'm curious since I picked it. I want to hear what your thoughts were. It's good. It's fine. I appreciate it for especially like for the time. Like definitely, I there was actually a couple of things that I was really impressed by. And I was like, wow, this actually really holds up. And also the um, like the environment, how eerie it was. And like they, they did a really good job with the set design for sure. Yeah, that was like one of the comments I had too was the set design was really, really impressive, I thought. I mean, I don't know why you wouldn't you would build this entire spaceship and install three light bulbs, but <laughs> other than that, yeah, my wife watched it with me and she like the underside of the ship, whatever it's called, um, She's just like, look, it's Christmas lights. It's like, yeah, kind of <laughs> like they could have done a little bit better and of a job on that. And then also, obviously, like there's just there's some movies that hide it decently well. But this movie could not get past the fact that it just looked like a model, you know? Yeah. Um, Which is totally fine. It's 1979. Like, I'm not like knocking it for it. I'm just saying, like, it definitely doesn't hold up <laughs> yeah. anymore. No, I agree. I feel like as a viewer in 2022, this movie is very, uh, it's like pretty slow. The pace is pretty slow and a lot of like the scary stuff isn't really that scary anymore. Yeah. But I agree with you, like looking at the wider context of sort of horror movies and sci-fi in general, I can definitely see how this movie was sort of the beginning of really the sci-fi like genre in general. Oh, definitely. It's no, like obviously it's super important and yeah, I can definitely appreciate it for the time. I, again, going back to the set design, something that always has bothered me in the past, and I guess it's not necessarily sci-fi, but like usually like kind of more fantasy or uh, movies that take place, you know, kind of in like a renaissance type of, you know, era or something like that. When you, Whenever you look at like the costume design and everything, it always looks like too new. It's like, this doesn't look like it's old at all, you know? Have you ever had that kind of feeling as well? Yeah, I remember um, a Robin Hood movie that came out recently, like not, I mean, within the last like few years or so. And there was a whole conversation about it because Robin Hood was wearing this like leather tunic that was like, you could tell was like professionally like beveled and stuff. Like you're like, a machine clearly made this. (laughs) Yeah, 
Ex- exactly. But when you look at this movie, and I think sci-fi usually does a better job at this. Um, like, it looks like it makes sense, you know, like for whatever the time is. Although there's some weird stuff like how come you have some high tech things, but then you have like this regular net to try to catch this thing. It's like just made out of <laughs> like, like rope. Uh, yeah, just like regular rope. Like you think it would be like this electrical net or yeah. something. <laughs> no, that's what I, I thought I was kind of laughing because the whole I mean, the set is phenomenal, but like the technology component of it is like <laughs> you can definitely tell this is what like the 70s thought the future was going to look like. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like all of these really like bad. really undefined like green blips on a screen or like yeah. even like the the mother interface I was just laughing at because it's like such an old school computer, you know, and then you have this big room that has all these like flashing lights that don't seem to have a purpose at all. And then this (laughs) tiny little screen. I thought the exact same thing. I like the first thought that popped up in my head when like uh, Dallas was going in to talk to mother the first time. I was like, oh, look, a bunch of lights that don't mean anything. Like, how would you ever? There's no labels. How would you ever know what that button does? You know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it just uh, so definitely like you can definitely tell it's an older movie, um, but I I can completely understand like watching it, understanding why this was like such a big deal for the time, because I mean, maybe I'm wrong in this, but I feel like to me, at least I sort of see this movie as like the beginning of Hollywood sort of moving into not necessarily big productions, but like sort of like blockbusters, you know? Because I was looking at some of the the actors in this movie and like the the actress who plays Lambert, I think, was in like the birds, like the Alfred Hitchcock movie. Oh, and like it's so weird for me to think of like those two eras of Hollywood, like Alien and the Birds, you know, like that that seems so distinct to me. And so I sort of see Alien as like the nexus where like the current Hollywood we have now sort of started to develop. That's interesting. That's super cool. I, yeah, I never really thought about that, but yeah, it totally makes sense. I, when I was, there's a lot of trivia for this movie, so yeah. I didn't, I didn't really pick out that much. I just picked out some weird stuff that I thought was interesting and you might know what I'm talking about. But, um, one of the things that I, I don't think I wrote down here, but that I noticed, um, was that like, although this is a rated R film, Oh, I can't remember if the trivia item says that this is like the first time that this happened, but like this is at least one of the first rated R films that um, actually made toys to try to sell to kids. Interesting. And it's like, really? <laughs> and it's like, this is scary stuff. And you're trying to sell like this alien toy. <laughs> this- yeah, that's like the only thing I can really think of that you would try to sell to the kids is like the alien toy or maybe the spaceship, but maybe the spaceship or Ripley because Ripley's a pretty cool character. True. I think. Yeah. She's the hero for sure. Yeah. That's funny though that they tried to like make merchandise for children. <laughs> yeah. I'm like very much the modern Hollywood we live in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's cool. I, I could totally understand like why like you know, like a ten year old kid would probably that like, you know, plays with like Batman figures and stuff like that would probably wanna or like Star Wars figures would want like an alien because that would definitely, especially if like you have Star Wars toys already, and then you have this alien that you can bring into the mix that looks terrifying. That's probably, yeah. I I could see kids wanting to do that back in the day. Plus, like when we talked about Pan's Labyrinth, like, I mean, things used to be pretty, 
scary like in fairy tales for kids <laughs> back that's in the, true way back in the day so yeah yeah i i thought it was kind of funny talking about the alien like there are just times where you can tell the alien is just like a human in a suit like yeah just like some of the ways that like the the body actor like moves their hands <laughs> or yeah, like yeah, yeah. the scene where it's like harpooned and hanging out of the spaceship and stuff just like the way it moves you're like okay this is just a human like wearing a costume <laughs> <laughs> yeah but yeah. i mean it, it's the 70s so it's you can't really criticize it from our point of view but i just was kind of laughing because you're like, oh, I, I wouldn't expect this alien creature to have such human-like fingers. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, that was something that was weird. Uh, going going back to like what you said with just how there's it's slow and there's a lot of buildup, and but the scary moments aren't really that scary anymore. Um, I laughed out loud uh, when Dallas was in one of the air shafts or air ducts, and he looks over, and then all of a sudden the alien's there, but the alien just goes like, Ah, like yeah. just like pops its hands out at him. I'm like, what the frick is that? That's not what would happen right now. Yeah, you know, I don't. Yeah, the the jump scares are not that <laughs> they don't hold up, but that's totally fine. There are some pretty scary, like you know, like from the back shots that make him look the the xenomorph. I think is what it's really called, like stand up tall, and it's like really you know terrifying and all that stuff. But as far as like the actual jump scares, well. No, the cat. The cat has the most jump scares, to be honest, out of anything in this movie. <laughs> That's true. Those are pretty good, I guess. Yeah, I will say though, like, I mean, this movie is an old movie, um, but the Alien franchise, from the clips that I've seen of like the newer movies, they do a really good job of evolving the Alien character design to become like a lot scarier. Okay, is there? I know that people love aliens as well and i think it did just as as good ratings wise you've seen that one or not Mm -mm. i've Mm. only seen the alien where they go into like ice tunnels underneath the earth or something like that i don't even know is that a newer one yeah it's like Like uh prometheus or something no it's like it's probably like um late aughts so like 2010 ish maybe i don't know which one it is though there's like a ton of different alien and predator movies and then, of course, like all of the references to chest bursters and face huggers and things like that in other yeah, yeah, yeah. different types of media. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, those oh, the face hugger actually holds up really well. That one's terrifying to be to be honest. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, I think that like the character designs in general, they're all pretty creepy. I mean, I think it's a little bit difficult to judge how scary they are when it was made so long ago but like the concepts are very terrifying you know like the face hugger and like an alien bursting out of your chest and then this like monster with you know a huge mouth and then like a little mouth inside of the mouth like yeah like the the concepts are very scary and that's why i think that in the newer aliens they do a really good job of adapting it to be like optimally scary for the time that they were created in yeah probably more alien-like movements Mm-hmm. If if whoever the guy is that did like the fawn in yeah, I was thinking the same Pan's thing. If he would have done the alien, I bet it would have been way better. Yeah, but. I was thinking the same thing. But yeah, I'm just I mean I'm a big fan of like mystery thriller movies. And then I was telling my wife this, but like I love mysteries that happen in an isolated location, mm. like particularly like victorian mansions and spaceships. Oh, okay, <laughs> well there you go. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, 
I I just I really enjoy. I'm really glad that this movie sort of set the precedent for uh, that being a viable genre of like something scary is going on in an isolated spaceship. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's. I mean, that totally makes sense. The, the fact that the isolated uh, spaceship that you bring that up, um, I think the tagline was like, like, oh, in space, no one can hear you scream or something like that. Yeah, it's ingenious, man. Because yeah, it's true. It's like there's nothing you could do. Either you escape from the pod and hope to be picked up, like their plan was at the very end, or you just die on there. Like there's nothing you could do. There's nowhere you could escape. You can't run out into the street and try to call nine one one. Like if you send a distress signal, it would probably be weeks or months before anything yeah. could get up to you. Actually, no, it'd probably be weeks for them to even plan a mission just to get up to you, as we see from the hit documentary The Martian. So, <laughs> just kidding. Actually, that takes like a whole year and a half. Or something. The hit documentary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, no, that's like that's something I just there's something about like being in sort of a creepy location and knowing that there's something bad going on, but you are left to your own devices. Like, I just really, really love that sort of, like, subgenre. So I very much um, respect Alien, even though, like you were saying, it doesn't really hold up to cinematic standards in regards to, like, how scary it is and stuff. I just am very uh, appreciative of the subgenre that it was able to create no for sure i wanted to get into the ship a little bit more because obviously we're super we're both really impressed which i'm glad to hear about the set the set design something that i noticed and honestly i wasn't really able to pick out a lot of like deep things it's a pretty straightforward movie to me um besides maybe the underlying um theme of like human lives don't matter as long as it's for scientific discovery that's kind of the biggest thing that i took away but if you really look at the ship there's only like maybe the two parts, like the little kitchen area and their like sleeping pods and stuff like that, that actually feel more warm and mm-hmm. kind of home, homey or whatever and inviting. And then everything else seems really, you know, just gritty and gross and dark and yeah. no lights and all that stuff. And to me, even though the ship is like huge, um, and obviously it's supposed to hold like merchandise or whatever it was. I can't remember what they were supposed to be transporting back. But the fact that everything else is just so disgusting um, and unlivable really um, kind of tells me that like obviously this is the type of crew and ship that doesn't get a lot of uh, budget maybe <laughs> to like really make it more inviting and more of a place that you actually want to be aboard for you know months at a time potentially. And that's probably kind of like the first clue, maybe that um, the human lives don't really matter, you know, in the grand scheme of things um, for mother or whatever the corporation is. I don't think they ever detailed what the corporation's name it's is. It's unnamed. Yeah. yeah. But it's just interesting to me that that like that was a really to me like a clear design choice to really show that there, it probably isn't like they don't care about them that much. It's all about the merchandise. It's all about whatever they're bringing back. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that that's like a really strong theme throughout the movie i mean that's sort of the some of the first dialogue that we hear is the characters arguing over how much of a cut they're going to get of the merchandise like it's very much this set as well as an environment where uh money is plays a prominent role in decision making so it makes sense that besides the places where the uh, crew members sort of live or 
gather, everything else is going to be as inhospitable as possible because why spend money on making it look nice and pretty when you don't uh, you don't use it that often. So I, I definitely agree. Like I think I mean we've already talked about this, but just the set of that movie is I think it's it's phenomenal. Like it's just really really well done, especially for a movie in the seventies. What did you think about the long? intro of i think i think uh, one of the trivia items and i noticed it obviously it's not hard to miss that like the first six minutes has zero dialogue and it's just showing like the exterior the interior mm-hmm. the long title sequence even um was that too slow for you or to me it like really to me it really like set the tone for the movie yeah i think that i mean it's long especially nowadays when we don't really <laughs> have that kind of stuff in movies yeah. and tv shows but i think uh even though it is long, it does a really good job of immersing you in the world that you're going to be exploring for the next like two something hours. So um, I I definitely understand sort of why it's necessary because I, I read somewhere that they wanted to like make sure that the audience knew this wasn't just some like B-rate movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I can see them sort of using the first six minutes to be like, hey, look how massive our set is. Like, this is really <laughs> impressive. It's not like some b-ray you know basement movie so no for sure yeah. i something that i was wondering when we were watching and uh, obviously it cuts finally to seeing our our characters waking up from the pods um prematurely and uh <laughs> this isn't really like anything deeper or whatever but where was the cat where was the cat this whole time <laughs> was the cat in one of the pods with them i would assume so but maybe it also didn't show the cat so i'm wondering if they were in there for months maybe it had its own little pod by itself or maybe maybe it was like the sixth generation of a cat that they originally brought and it just wandered the hallways (laughs) who knows that's that's what i want to believe i just want to believe that this cat was just out there pooping all over the ship (laughs) because obviously like what's what else is gonna do and just trying to find whatever it could to eat that that was one of the things that I thought was kind of funny was like the blatant like health and safety violations that the crew member has. Like, I feel like you would never just be able to take an animal openly yeah. onto like a spaceship like that. But then yeah. when they have like the flamethrower. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm pretty sure a flamethrower on a spaceship is incredibly dangerous. And then when, like, all of the characters are smoking cigarettes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my wife made that comment. It's like, why are they, like, there's a limited air supply, isn't there? Like, why are they smoking it up? Yeah, I'm like, I'm, I'm pretty sure the amount of work to just keep, like, an environment that you can live in, like, you would not be able to smoke on a spaceship. But, again, it's very much like a 70s feel. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm fine with it. There's something charming about, you know, just that old feel to these sci-fi movies that are supposed to be yes, way later. Yes, I agree. But, I agree. Um, like, like talking about the, you know, the interfaces that they were, you know, getting in touch with and stuff. It's really primitive by today's yeah. standards. It, but it's always fun to look at. Like, I, I still look at it as a futuristic tech, even though it looks old. Yeah, it very much looks old. But I was just laughing. I think it's like when Dallas goes into the mother room, um, yeah. I think a second time. And it's just like this old version of Google. <laughs> he types in, yeah. like, request, request procedures to terminate alien. <laughs> it's like, I don't know what you're talking about. It, 
And then he's like, he Googles like, what are my chances? <laughs> what are my chances? I'm screwed. It was honestly at that. I wrote a note. I think at that point down, it's like mother is useless. Obviously there was another mean, like a reason behind it and why it was like being so vague and stuff and uh, unhelpful. But I should like, at that point it's just like, this is just an eight ball. Like it's not <laughs> try your luck next time. I don't know. Yeah. It's like mother has done nothing to help these people. And then you learn like, Oh, that's because that's how she's programmed. Like the crew doesn't matter. So yeah. Um, yeah, I was just, I was just laughing that he Googled, like, it just felt very, like, web MDE, like, <laughs> do I have cancer, you know? He's like, what are, what are my chances? <laughs> it was good. It was good. Like, 100% that is, like, a Google search that I would have <laughs> what are my chances? typed in. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. One thing, too, this movie does really well is, like, they make breathing so creepy. Like, both the sound of breathing, but, like, when the face hugger is on, uh, I think it's Kane, right? Like, yeah. just the way oh, yeah. Kane is, like, breathing, his body, the way his body is moving, it's just yeah. so unsettling for some reason. And I don't know if it's because you know that, like, the face hugger is supplying oxygen to his body, yeah. but, like... It's just so creepy. I don't know. It's like, I don't know why, but it's just so off-putting. So I thought that they did a really good job of like setting the tone with these really subtle details. That's, that's always creepy. Like, especially like if something's over the face <laughs> and you can't even see any facial features at that point, that's already creepy enough. But yeah, mm-hmm. the fact that he's still alive. Yeah. Good. Definitely. Good point. Good observation for sure. That, that definitely is really, really freaky. That's another thing that's like, the, like honestly, like for as classic as this movie is, and you know, obviously things don't hold up, but other things are done really well. Even in 1979, there's just quite a for 1979. There's quite a bit of things that's just like, why didn't you, like, why would you do that? You know, like I found myself saying that a lot in this film, and um, one of those moments is like with the face hugger on him. Um, why are they just wearing this they're just wearing like regular surgical stuff like mm-hmm. this is an unknown species put on some protective gear my friend yeah i mean i guess maybe at that point it doesn't matter because it still got through what's his kane's um helmet. Uh, face helmet yeah anyway yeah. but still it's just like do something to protect yourself yeah or like when the face hugger is like dead and then they're like yeah. an inch away from it just their yeah. open faces i'm like <laughs> Did we not just see this thing latch onto someone's open face? Like, yeah. <laughs> you don't know if it's really dead. Like, why are you putting your face right into it? And you put it into an open container and it's like, no, like, put a lid on that bad boy. Yeah. <laughs> like, and trap it. Um, It's so weird, especially that scene, like, when they realize that the face hugger is not on him anymore mm-hmm. and they just walk around and the door is just wide open behind them. And then it's not until, like, a whole. Like minute and a half late. That sauna or that scene is also very long. Like it's too long. I don't with one camera shot, like mm-hmm. one angle. That's it. And they're just kind of looking through, and obviously they're just messing around and trying to. They're just making up where they're going. The actors are, but it's not until like a minute and a half later that Ash like goes and closes the door, and it's like that should have been the first thing you did because if that thing got out, like yeah, <laughs> I don't know what you're thinking, man. But yeah, they're just kind of stupid, honestly. Like, obviously, this is an unknown thing that they haven't dealt with because they're just, like, these merchant people. Or, like, maybe just, like, they get minerals or something like that. But 
boy, it's like <laughs> like a little bit of common sense, I think. <laughs> <laughs> that's what that's what mother was for, though. Just you're supposed to Google into mother, like how to deal with alien. <laughs> True. A subtle detail that I also noticed was just the whole thing of Ash always saying like, "Oh, I'm collating. We're collating." Did, do you know? I didn't know what like the definition of collating was. Isn't it just like to gather information like in one spot in order to be able to like analyze it? Yeah, it was like to gather information and like combine. Mm-hmm. And combine is like the key word. Yeah, like synthesize it. Yeah, the more the more that he said collating, like um, it just kind of more sounded like combining. Like I'm trying to combine all the information, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that was actually a pretty good subtle detail because, and a very specific word because. Like later on, uh, uh, Sigourney Weaver, uh, Ripley is talking to Ash, like, like, what are we, like, what does Mother say or something like that? Which is weird. I don't know why she, like, asked Ash exactly, like, what Mother is, like, thinking, but he's like, we're still collating. Mm-hmm. I feel like that was a really good hint. And that was the first time that I'm like, I don't know if he's real. Like, maybe he's Mother or, like, he has Mother in him. Like, maybe mm-hmm. he's a robot. And then, obviously, it's confirmed, like, in the big twist or whatever that he's actually a part of Mother or something like that and, and um, obedient and going to just try to make sure that that alien gets back to Earth, which seems like a really stupid plan because they obviously can't control this thing at all. So I bet if they landed, it would have just freaking just gone off and killed everyone from wherever they were going to examine him from. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't know. Was that something that... Like, did you have any hints to Ash potentially being, like, a robot? Um, Not that he was a robot. Not until he started, like, sweating milk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, I think it's it's pretty clear that they're setting him up to be sort of, like, the antagonist to Ripley because he is so consistently putting the crew at risk in order to mm. protect this alien. Like, I, I feel like it's pretty obvious that he is operating under a different set of instructions but yeah. I didn't really guess that he was a robot until, yeah, he started sort of like sweating milk. And then obviously when his head gets ripped off, you're like, oh, yeah, that's not that's not a thing humans do. Yeah, I was like noticing at the beginning of the film, um, he seemed to be more timid or something like that. Like, I just remember him giving up his seat for Parker. And I, I like at first I was just like, oh, he must be like a timid guy. And then as time goes on, like he... It's just like maybe he's fearful and it seems like he's a little fearful because he doesn't want to go out uh, to the ship and like check things out. And I'm like, OK, so he's like a, he's like a kind of a scary cat. That's you mm-hmm. know whatever. But then when Ripley's like, oh, this looks more like a warning than it is an SOS. And he's and she's like, I should go after them. And then he's just like, why? What's the point? Like by the time you get there, they'll probably already know what the warning is. Like that it is a warning, you know, Mm -hmm. signal because something will happen. And I just took that as like being kind of a coward. But then when he lets them in, then all of a sudden I was just like, wow, he's really fascinated by this alien. Yeah. And like all of a sudden he's got this confidence and he's not really fearful anymore for some reason. I was like, this is weird and uncharacteristic, I thought. But I guess when it comes to science and in the name of science, like he doesn't really care. Like yeah. it's it's more about the science than anything. And then come to find out, it really is all about the science <laughs> for him. Mm-hmm. That's what he's programmed for. Well, not even the science either necessarily. It's I think they talk about this, but it's about the the weaponry, the the weaponry potential. Like, oh, do they? 
Yeah, they mention like, I don't know who says it, but it's like, oh, the company they work for, all they're interested in is like in getting this weapon that they can, I mean, assume, oh. like presumably use to then like make lots of money and go to war, or do whatever companies do when they develop weapons. But mm. um, it's like made very clear that that um, Ash and Mother and the company at large are interested in the alien because they want to be able to weaponize its biology. Oh, interesting. I mean, I guess it makes sense because um, I know that he points out that like it adapts really quickly to a lot of things and like has this hard outer layer that probably would mm-hmm. protect it from most weaponry or something like that. So I guess that yeah. that totally makes sense. I didn't really pick up on that. Yeah, I think I think um the what what Ash says to describe the alien is he says it's a survivor unclouded by conscious remorse or delusions of morality. Mm, okay. So it's very much and I think that like for me and obviously this is me coming from my own sort of sociopolitical background, but like this movie is like very clearly one that is highlighting the like fallacies and inherent problems in like strict profit motive uh, ideologies. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, I mean, it's even clearly stated that the crew's, the crew's lives are expendable. Like the most important thing is to get the alien to, the company or earth or whatever at whatever cost it may be. And there's very clearly this theme of like money being more important than human lives. Yeah. Or dominance even like in any form. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, it's important to remember that this movie uh, came out pretty much in the middle of the cold war, um, Mm. which is all about the nuclear arms race and things like that. And so you had sort of mentioned earlier, like, why would they want to take this really dangerous alien back to Earth when if it got free, it would just literally ravage the whole world? And I think that that is a very clear symbolism. I don't know if it was intended this way, but very clear symbolism of like nuclear warheads, right? Like mm. why are all of these countries and world powers developing nuclear warheads that if they got into the wrong hands would like literally destroy the Earth, you know, a hundred mm. times over. And so I don't know if that was an inherent um point of symbolism for this movie but i don't think that you can really overlook that especially because it did come out in the middle of the cold war yeah interesting yeah i didn't put any of that together so good on you thanks for enlightening me yeah i think that i think that there's actually a lot of really interesting um symbolism and themes throughout this movie like we sort of have already talked a little bit about like the inherent um flaws that come with uh, corporate driven societies or I mean capitalism I guess in a general sense but um, I think that you see a lot of really interesting details so like when it's after they've let Kane and the others back in and Ripley confronts Dallas I think and she's like why are we doing this like that wasn't protocol like they should have been in quarantine and then um, Dallas says something along the lines of like standard procedure is to do what the company tells you to do yeah And I thought that was really interesting because, like, again, you go back to this idea of, like, these individuals who eventually, all of them except for Ripley, lose their lives because of this profit motive that the company has. They're forced into these, like, lose-lose situations where they lose their lives if they don't do what the company says and or if they do what the company says and they lose all of their money and the results of their hard work if they don't do what the company says. And so – Um, And you see that really clearly in the beginning when 
they hear the distress signal and Parker's like, I just want to go home and party. I don't want to listen to this. Like, we're not equipped for this. And then Ash very clearly outlines like, oh, it's in your contract that if you don't go attend to a distress signal, then you'll forfeit all of your shares. And so they end up going. And I think that you can look at that as sort of Parker and the others being motivated, motivated by their own greed. Like, oh, you know, you wanted all your money, but you ended up losing your life because of this. But to me, that's more of like a commentary on the, um, inherent imbalance of power where the company is forcing their workers to make all of these risks of both their livelihood and their lives. And the the workers, therefore, don't really have any control over what happens because they are in that position of power. And so I think that that sort of commentary, whether inherent or, or intended or not, um, is really interesting to me that like you, the company goes unnamed, but the company is the driving force behind everything that's sort of unfolded in the movie. For sure. Uh, yeah, totally makes sense. Yeah, I, I basically was like kind of um, with you in the way that I was thinking, but it was all in the name of science instead of <laughs> instead of money. And yeah, because I totally skipped over that whole thing. Um, but yeah, it's it is all about the company just getting what it wants and obviously power and some kind of dominance in whatever yeah. way. So, yeah, I, I, yeah, that's the whole Cold War thing is really interesting too. I didn't think about the time that this was coming out at all. Yeah, and I think too, like, there's definitely um, Ash puts on the facade that it's about science. Like, yeah. you didn't come to that conclusion out of thin air because he very clearly states, like, oh, this is for scientific purposes. Like, this is so interesting. Yeah, and so it's very, very much um, the intended sort of presentation of what they're doing, and then it's later you learn. Um, I mean, you don't really learn, but I don't remember who says it, but there's some sort of um, inference that they want the alien because it's a good weapon. But I think that that sort of goes back again to the sort of insidiousness of these uh, capitalistic or profit-driven ideologies because on the surface, yeah, like the pursuit of science is a good thing. Like we should want to expand our knowledge of the world and um, like learn new things. And also... Uh, Ash has this presentation of not only science, but also solidarity, where he's like, oh, I let Kane and the others back in because it was the right thing to do. Like, I'm willing to risk our lives to protect them. Like, mm. he very much presents his motives as being about the pursuit of knowledge and, like, taking care of other people and stuff. So, like, yeah. you initially can't it's a lot more difficult to challenge his motives because they seem like they're coming from a good place. And I think that we see that a lot, particularly in modern society where like large corporations or governments even will say like, oh, our motives are to help, you know, X group or to pursue knowledge. But then when you really look at what they're doing with that knowledge or like the reason behind a lot of those actions, you see that a lot of it is driven by like greed and hostility and aggression and power and things like that. So um, I definitely really liked that multi-layered component of it where you think that Ash is like being motivated by good things. But then when you dig down, you're like, oh yeah, it's, it's all about money and power. (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting to see that like, Pretty much every single character operates off of very different things. Like uh, like Parker and, and Brett, I believe, are operated by greed um, and just getting their money and making sure that they get as much money as they can. And, mm-hmm. and obviously the very first thing that they want to talk about like after they wake up is, oh, we should get full shares. This is bullcrap or whatever. So they just want more money. And then well, I guess Dallas, I'm not entirely sure. I think he operates off of fear a little bit. Um, and then <laughs> Lambert. Uh, definitely operates off of fear 100%. Like there's, 
I don't really like Lambert's character. There's like nothing um, yeah. good about her. <laughs> She's just uh, scared all the time and weak, honestly. Yeah. But it seems like Ripley's the only one that's operating off of like logic and just like actually thinking for herself. And it's like, She's the only one that like actually wants to kill this face hugger. Uh, it's a bad idea. Like we don't even know what's gonna go on with this. Like we don't know what's happening with Kane. Like we should just kill this thing. Or like why are we letting them in? Because we'll risk the entire ship. Like it's all off of logic. And I think she has a really strong hand on her sh- head on her shoulders um, out of every single other person because everyone else is just like panicking. I think pretty much either on the inside or on the outside, um, trying to make sure that they get their money, don't die, whatever. But um, Ripley's the only one that's actually thinking about the entire crew. Um, and then obviously Ash is, it's all about the company and making sure that we please the company. Um, I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, I, I totally agree. I think that, I mean, again, this was made in the seventies, but there is like a lot of very problematic, um, gender dynamics here. I think you Mm. sort of hinted at it where Lambert's character, really the only thing that she adds is sort of like, oh, this really, like, scared woman who can't really do anything besides, like, scream when scary things are happening. Um, Like, she can't even move when the alien's right in front of her. Like, she's very much portrayed uh, problematically. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, I think that you're spot on with a lot of the other motives that you attributed to the characters. And I, what I really liked about this was that Ripley very much is like the only one who's approaching the situation, like, logically and... uh, smartly and safely um but she's like consistently undermined particularly by like the men in the group um yeah and i don't know how intentional that was to sort of show how her uh gender played a role in how she was treated because i think she's like third in command at the ship but her her decisions are almost always questioned whether by ash or dallas or somebody else on the ship Um, So there's definitely some, like, very problematic gender dynamics going on, um, particularly, like, when she takes her, like, pants off and is, like, walking around the ship. It's like, okay, Mm -hmm. really? Like, we're going to – this is, like, a sci-fi movie, and I don't know. That seems, like, very unnecessary, but um, I really liked that she was very much motivated by sort of uh, doing what was best for herself and the people around her. And then you see this this gender dynamic come play a a role and show how, even if not on the surface – there's very much um, a challenge to her decision-making, which is the best decision-making we're seeing. Yeah. And I think at least in part, it's driven because she is like a woman in what seems to be a predominantly male-dominated field. Yeah, so I, th- that was definitely a note that I had. It was just like, no one seems to really respect or like Ripley for some reason. I mean, there's there's kind of a, a couple of moments at the very, very, very beginning where she kind of seems like a know-it-all, so maybe she's a little annoying. I have no idea. But either way, it's just... But she did know it all. But she did know it all. Exactly. I was just like, she sounds like a know-it-all, but it's for good reason. I don't... <laughs> like... And and another note that I had is just like, if, if a lot of people on the ship are operating off of fear, it seems, why do they keep listening to Ash? Like, I don't understand. Like, Ash... Like, when the... um Not the facehugger, the burster chest the chest burster yeah like the little baby alien or whatever it just like comes out and ash says no don't touch it or whatever don't harm it and like everyone listens to him it's like Mm -hmm. no kill that sucker dude and especially don't let it get out what are you doing like i don't know why they all just watched it scurry away and i i don't i don't know if that's really something like to me personally i don't think that anyone 
really would have done that. I feel like someone would have tried to capture that thing and make sure it doesn't get out. Well, I mean, I agree with you. I think like you just saw an alien burst out of your crewmate's chest. Like, yeah. you should probably try to at least detain it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think it goes back to the idea that like Ash is the senior authority figure there in regard to science. And so I think that um, particularly in this environment and community where I think hierarchy plays a really big role, like you listen to your superiors and follow instructions regardless mm. if you agree with them or not. I think that that probably has some conditioning built into this group so that they sort of inherently listen to yeah. their superiors. But I mean, it goes back to the idea of like people who are in charge and have authority often make poor choices or they're often making choices that directly uh, endanger or harm their subordinates. Um, right. And that's something you see throughout the film where the people who have decision-making power, um, both on the ship and in the larger sense of the company, they are making decisions where the lives of the crew are consistently deemed as not important. Yeah. And kind of going back to what you were saying a little bit earlier, too, about um, <clears throat> and what we we're both saying really is that how no one's really listening to Ripley at all. And even though she becomes like the highest ranking officer on the ship, they're still questioning her mm -hmm. decisions. And obviously there's like a lack of respect, but at the same time, I feel like that's actually the first moment where we see the other crew members like finally thinking for themselves. And I kind of see it as a good thing as well. It's like you should, you should, and we've talked about this in previous, previous episodes of this show, you should be thinking for yourself and, and, um, questioning authority to a healthy degree, obviously, because if it seems like it might harm everyone or, or yourself or whatever, mm -hmm. you should probably be, um, uh, trying to operate with your own thoughts in, instead of other people's. So I, I would probably actually at that, that point finally give the other crew members a little bit of a pass of like, not, not necessarily not respecting her, but like questioning her and every move and every thought and everything like that. Because at that point it is about everyone's survival and making sure that you make the best decision for everyone's survival. At least, at least I think so. Cause I'm pretty sure that all takes place when they're coming up. No, no. Ash is still, hidden as not a robot so yeah never mind yeah but yeah yeah i, I don't know I, I feel like i would give them a little bit of congratulations at that part <laughs> for thinking yeah. for themselves I, I think too like high stress scenarios like that you sort yeah. of um don't really know how you're going to react until you're in the situation because uh i just think there's like a lot of panic and you know fight flight or freeze going on so one thing that i found really interesting was like obviously the the movie's bad guy is the alien, right? That's sort of like the the villain of the story. And I just, I really love the um, imagery and the symbolism of the alien because like this alien, and the thing that's so creepy about it is that it uses the bodies of the humans as hosts to mm. sort of perpetuate uh, its own bloodline or, you know, its own species. Yeah. And so that to me is like just a really creepy idea where like your body no longer is your own. It's being served for the purposes of another being. Um, yeah. But what I really, really liked as I was sort of reflecting on the idea is like, yeah, the alien is creepy because it does that to the humans. But like, if you think about it, the company that it also did that to the humans. Like yeah. the company hijacked these humans' lives and used it for its own purposes. Like the company wanted this alien at whatever cost mm. and they turned around and pretty much 
took over these humans um, autonomy and used it for their own benefit. And I yeah. think that I just really like that where like the, the alien is like the clear villain here because it's taking over people's bodies, but in the shadows are sort of like over looming over the whole movie is also this idea of like, yeah, the alien is bad, but the company pretty much did the same thing, just not as overtly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'll go, I'll go a step further and, or I'll just go ahead and say, I, I would classify the alien as the immediate threat, but the villain is the company. Yeah. That's a great yeah. way to put it. I think. Yeah. And, uh, oh, man, oh, I want to talk about the alien ship a little bit that they encounter on the planet or asteroid or whatever, whatever the giant it was. croissant. Is that what they called it? The giant croissant. Yeah. I saw that in the trivia. <laughs> yeah. Um, dude, that, that design was even awesome. Like, it was really cool. Like you saw the outside, I'm like, okay, like a little cheesy ish, but yeah. you know, let's get in, let's get in there and see what's going on. And I think it's, um, I thought it was like really brilliant because the the inside of that sh- alien, the giant croissant, looks like like the inner organs of like an insect or like you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like it's all organic throughout. It seems like yeah, it's all like glistening and like wet and stuff. Yeah, it's like disgusting, and maybe that's just because of the aliens that like took over like the threat you know that just kind of maybe for some reason there's like branches of them that just kind of like go off into the ship but i kind of think that it's like it's not it wasn't their ship right it was some other some other alien ship i think it was what you later come to know as the predators because like oh from my understanding and again i don't know that much about this franchise like the aliens and the predators are like sort of mortal enemies. And like one of the main purposes of the oh. predator's existence is to hunt down and kill all the aliens. <laughs> and so that. they're like really uh, sh- strong enemies. And I think again, don't quote me on this, that the aliens that we see in the spaceship who had their like chests burst open. I'm pretty sure those are predators. Oh, interesting. Not a hundred percent sure though. Maybe. I mean, it looked like they had, like, more human-like skeletal structures and stuff like that, so... Yeah, which the Predators do. Yeah, except for, like, the... I know that their face, like... They wear masks or whatever, but, like, their face goes outward. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. so I think that it's, like, um, it was probably, like, a Predator ship that was hunting down the aliens, and then the aliens took over. Yeah, they won um, the battle. And they won the battle, and then the Predators, before they died, sent out the warning signal, like, don't come here. Yeah. You know, that totally makes sense because um, when you get into that like big room and you look at that dead alien that's like huge, by the way, um, right? Like it was huge. Did you see how tall it was? Yeah, it was freaking way tall. Like the uh, one that was dead. It was, that- it's the, the model uh, is 26 feet tall. Oh, my god! Or I should say was 26 feet tall because apparently it burned down. Oh. Um, yeah, a, a lit cigarette got put on the model, and it, like, burned down, and it was such a big deal that it got, like, reported on the local news. What? Um, but, yeah, the I'm, I'm pretty sure it was, like, a 26-foot-tall model, which is absolutely insane. Yes. And that's another thing, too, where I think the production company originally didn't want to have the model because it was so expensive and large. Mm-hmm. And somebody on the team was like, we have to have this because it's going to set us apart from other, like, B-rate movies. Right, yeah. Which yeah. I, I think it's great they kept it because it's like, it's wonderful. It's great. No. Like visually. Yeah, yeah. No, it's awesome. I, I Yeah, when I saw that for the first time, I was like in awe. I'm like, wow, this really holds up still. Um, mm-hmm. But what it was sitting on, it looked, 
it looked like a gunship to me. I don't like, you know what I mean? Like it looked like a gun or whatever. And so at least to me, I don't know. It looked like he was like in a chair to like shoot a gun or whatever outside of the ship. But so it kind of goes along like just with that thought in my head. And then you talking about them potentially being predators. I guess that makes that would make sense yeah. to me. Yeah, yeah I, I would assume that there's probably some sort of like lore, if not actual canon out there about right. like what the alien ships are and stuff. But I just didn't really I don't know this franchise that well. So, yeah. And I didn't yeah. dig into the trivia <laughs> too deep because it was like as I was scrolling, I made a few a few through a few things. And then I was like, wow, this has barely made a dent <laughs> in the scrolling bar. So I was. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's it's such a huge like wiki and a huge community that yeah it's like one of those things that you can't read all of the <laughs> trivia because there's like so much out there you know yeah every movie that we've been covering until now has been a little smaller so i've been able to look at it all yeah kind of like a standalone <laughs> yeah. yeah but this is different man uh, but really cool like one day one day maybe i'll actually look through most of it or something because it is pretty fascinating and i do like the world for sure yeah i would I would be really interested and they probably show it in like other movies in the future and stuff, but I would be interested in what that earth looks like, you know, in this type of world and like what buildings look like and is everything kind of run down like that ship or, or not or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, no, I agree. I think it's like a very, they just did such a good job of like setting the tone through the set. Just really, really well done. But that speaking of the, the giant croissant or whatever it's called, um, I was just laughing because that part where I think it's Kane, he walks into that big room and he's like, there's something leathery on the ground. It looks like eggs. I'd have immediately turned around and left. Like, dude, <laughs> no way in hell am I walking into a room filled with eggs. Like, yeah. in no situation does the outcome of that is that is that a good one? Yeah. No, dude, I was the exact same. I'm just like, why are you investigating this on your own? Yeah. Like at least, at least get your teammates there so that you can get some cover in case one of these things like wakes up or whatever. And the fact that like he did see one of them waking up, I would have been like, "Hey guys, you gotta get over here right now, or just leave, <laughs> or just leave." Yeah, either get over here right now, or we need to get out of here because I think this is not what we think it is, and uh, we need to get out. Like I don't, yeah, I don't know why he inspect Kane inspected it so closely. Yeah, I don't know why you would walk into a room filled with eggs on a foreign planet in a foreign <laughs> spaceship where you saw you saw skeletons of some other ant like I don't know in what world that is the correct decision to make. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. Um I speaking of like Kane and that whole thing, I actually thought it was really cool because like he uh, before the face hugger like gets him and everything like he seems to be more of like kind of an indifferent person like he doesn't really care about a lot and like I I know that uh, he I'm pretty sure he was the one to like volunteer himself to be like I'll go out or whatever and check this thing out and then Dallas is like of course you are or whatever mm-hmm. and that to me was just kind of like a little bit of a um, moment of yeah, like like you're so indifferent about things and like you're probably fine with dying or whatever that yeah, of course you'll go out because you just don't care, you know. Yeah. Um maybe he's like super brave, but I don't think they did a good enough job showing that if he was. But um but like do you feel the same way? Was he kind of an indifferent character to you? Um or like he felt indifferent about a lot of things? Yeah, I mean, I think so, especially the fact that like you walk into that room and you don't have like a visceral response. 
Yeah. It's just like, yeah, I think indifference probably a good way to classify it. <laughs> yeah. But what's but what's cool about that is is how they seem to go out of their way to really show, you know, that kind of dire attitude that he has about a lot of things. And then after he wakes up from the face hugger, he is so jovial, he's energetic, he's like, Give me some food, I'm hungry, you know? He's like so happy and excited. Like you immediately know that something's off mm-hmm. and like something's gonna happen, you know? Yeah. And and maybe that wasn't intentional or, or anything like that, but I definitely saw that and and I thought that that was really brilliant and just like there's something odd. And you can see you can see Ash too. Obviously Ash is like looking at him like something's about to happen. Yeah. And and he doesn't he's like the only one that doesn't like get up to try to like help him or whatever because it looks like he's choking, you know, um, as he's eating and stuff. But um, eventually he's like, oh, this is more serious. You know, he says that and then they bring him onto the table and then obviously the uh, chest burster or whatever comes out at that point. Yeah. Or do they get him to the science room? No, he's there in the kitchen when it bursts out okay. and scurries away. Gotcha. Yeah. Which, how fast does that thing grow? <laughs> I thought the same thing. It's like it literally shed like once and then all of a sudden it was the size of a giant. A human. Yeah. yeah. No, it's the weirdest thing. I was like, oh, it's like a caterpillar like turning into a butterfly. <laughs> it kind of, because I know caterpillars my daughter got really into like butterflies and caterpillars and the metamorphosis, whatever metamorphosis metamorphosis yeah and um and uh i didn't realize like they just eat and eat and shed like four different times until they finally go into the cocoon and turn into a um, butterfly another aside it's odd it's crazy the whole cocoon process is nuts because yeah it's like they literally dissolve yeah they dissolve completely and then turn themselves into a butterfly yeah it makes no sense what the what the frick <laughs> like i don't that makes no yeah that makes no sense that's nuts but anyway this thing apparently only yeah like caterpillar soup <laughs> yeah this thing apparently the uh, xenomorph xenomorph only needs one shedding cycle to and what did it eat i don't know it didn't eat the cat um, yeah i'm sure there's probably lore out there about how it grows and stuff but yeah <laughs> very quick life cycle yeah yeah that's just you saying that, um, one of the trivia things, um, and what I was really confused about at the very end, it must be a quick life cycle because when she gets onto that pod and then discovers the alien on there, it does not care about her. Yeah, it's like I'm really not weak sure seeming. Yeah, and I'm like, is it already dying? Like, what's happening right now? It's like it know. shouldn't have been that hard to kill it, you know? Like, I mean, there, I, I'm sure you probably saw this, but there is a whole cut scene where um, Ripley finds... Uh, Brett and Dallas, and they've been incubated with eggs. Oh, did you see that? Yeah. No. So there's a whole scene where um, you learn that like the alien didn't kill Brett and Dallas. It dragged them off to some undisclosed location and put a bunch of the eggs in it for the face planters to hatch to then continue the life cycle. So um, that makes sense. It it may very well sort of be at the end of its life cycle, but that just seems like a really fast life cycle, but also a terrifying yeah. life cycle. So I, I don't know. I don't know, but maybe like it like, laid its eggs in Dallas and Brett and decided that it was done. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I was so surprised by that, how it was just like, just laying there and just yeah. like dying. S- senior citizen. Yeah. There was a, there was a little bit of a trivia thing that I somehow saw. Uh, I didn't write it down, but it, I think there's speculation that that it was dying, and in its last act or whatever, it turns himself into an egg so that it can keep going, which makes no sense 
to me at all, but whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I think that like, I, I don't know if you caught on this. I mean, we were sort of talking about themes throughout it. Um, but like one of the clear themes of imagery is like, um, there's a lot of like sexual imagery. I don't know if you noticed that, mm-hmm. but I was reading and I think it was like an interview with O'Bannon, who was one of the screenwriters, yeah. I think you said. He talked about how like a lot of the uh, imagery of the alien and particularly like the face hugger is supposed to be representative of like sexual aggression. Mm. And they wanted it to be particularly like aimed at men Mm. who were like the victims of sexual aggression. Because like in the real world, that's not really how it works, right? Like normally like women are the victims of sexual violence Mm. and sexual aggression. But the the face hugger and like the chest burster and the fact that like the alien sort of hijacks other people's bodies to accomplish its own desires. Like it's all very much sexual imagery. Um, It was all very intentional. And there's actually, I was reading this, there's parts of the movie that were taken out because the the production company thought that it was like too sexually explicit um hmm. but like it's very much meant to sort of invoke this um sense of like violation okay uh particularly violation of men's bodies to sort of be representative of like sexual aggression that men often inflict on women so interesting that was like definitely another thing like if you go through and you watch the movie again knowing that like um, a lot of the sexual imagery and symbolism is intentional. You'll you'll probably go back and you'll you'll see a lot of um, that type of imagery in the yeah. movie. Yeah, I mean, so not really picking up on that, but uh, when I was watching it, but trivia. I'll just go ahead and get into this because it, I guess it makes more sense right now. A lot of the things were made from really weird, <laughs> like stuff. Did you notice that? Yeah. So the uh, tenons of the beast's ferocious jaws was. Uh, made by shredded condoms interesting so that's like an overt like you know yeah that's fascinating and the slime used on the alien was ky jelly Mm. yeah yeah see so they really went out of their way so that makes sense like what you're saying is just like wow they really it's disgusting (laughs) but they really went out of their way to like make it yeah like kind of partially about that so that's really interesting and then this is there's a couple of things that are really odd and like I'm surprised that the practical effects like department or whatever didn't have like more synthetic, you know, options for making some of these things. But the face hugger, the dead face hugger, at least, um, was made using fresh shellfish, uh, four oysters and a sheep kidney. Gross. So it was real stuff. It was organic stuff. I I read, too, that like the inside of the egg where the face hugger yeah. shoots out of into Kane's helmet, yeah. that is also made with like sheep intestine and like what? cow heart and stuff. So I think the reason that I was reading that they did it was because like it portrayed that sort of like wet, glistening, organic look that they really wanted, mm. um, but still really gross. <laughs> yeah. And according to Ian Holm, who plays Ash, Ash's head contains spaghetti, cheap caviar, and onion rings. <laughs> onion rings (laughs) yeah it's just so yeah i guess it makes sense like obviously they did a really good job because it looked absolutely disgusting Mm -hmm. um but i i'm just really surprised that they would have done that because i'm sure it was 
really smelly and terrible. Well, for- yeah, too. I was reading like, especially with the inside of the face hugger, like yeah. it was all that seafood. And then they have those hot studio lights to film it. Like they yeah. said that the, the organic material just did not last very long. And I yeah. can only imagine how like putrid it smelled, you know, under those, like, you know, getting cooked in the open air under those hot lights and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Which was probably it probably made it easy for the actors to like be disgusted by it because oh, they sure. actually were, <laughs> yeah. And yeah. good on good on Ian Holm who plays Ash for uh, still maintaining his composure and you know <laughs> really being that yeah. science geek I guess well pretending to be the science geek, but um, yeah. So anyway, that was uh, that was just really interesting for me to for me to see. I was really disgusted by that. I couldn't believe yeah, it. Yeah, I, I saw too, um, I don't know if, if you read this, but like the space suits that they wear, mm. um, they weren't very well ventilated. And so um, they would get really, really hot. And then because of the studio lights, I guess whenever they put, the actors put the suits on, they would like pass out a bunch because it would get so hot inside oh, of the geez. space suits. Yeah. And they only eventually added like ventilation after... Um, they were doing like body shots. Um, so it wasn't the actors in the suits, but it was like some of the production teams, like kids, I think it might've even been like one of Scott's kids or whatever. Um, they like passed out in the suits and they were like, okay, these need to be ventilated because like people (laughs) cannot like stay conscious, but like it just reading through that. I'm like, wow, they really like 1970s Hollywood (laughs) feels a lot different. Budget. (laughs) budget man like you have like cow intestines and like passed out actors all over the set and stuff like yeah well shoot i mean (laughs) i don't know maybe too soon but that whole set of the movie rust or whatever with uh alec baldwin you know all that stuff oh yeah yeah so we're still not too far away from really shoddy you know that's true preparedness or whatever preparation i feel like there was something that i wanted to say well actually let me just ask you this question um did you i mean it's probably really easy to say but who like did you have a favorite character out of everyone um yeah i mean like ripley i feel like is the only character you can really cheer for well not necessarily cheer for um but like was there a character that you liked the depth of or the like that was really interesting just ripley (laughs) yeah i would say just ripley i mean ash's character is interesting because he's sort of like this hidden bad guy yeah um I find myself more interested in the life cycle of the aliens. Like, I don't know. I'm yeah. just always really fascinated by, uh, like, otherworldly creatures and stuff. So that probably is what I'm more intrigued in. But So um, you would have been with the company is what you say. What you're saying um, like, no, we need to bring this in, thing back. <laughs> no. If I can study it through fictional works of art, but I'm yeah. not bringing wild creatures and unknown specimens anywhere near me. Yeah. What a what a crappy company to just like, oh, let's get all these unprepared people to go check this thing out, even though it might be a threat or it is actually a threat because it was a warning um, signal and not an SOS um, that it was deciphering or something like that. Or maybe it took time to decipher. But like you think that is like, OK, we'll put a beacon on there or something and then we'll get someone else out there later with, you know, actual uh, equipment to fend for themselves <laughs> you know what i mean yeah i mean i think it just goes back to the fact that like it was probably the cheapest option to have this mm. unprepared crew bring them in and yeah. all this company cares about is making money off of this weapon that they can harvest from this alien and so yeah i mean it's very clear that they don't care if this crew lives or dies or not as long as they get their hands on the alien so 
I mean, I think that there's even like real life examples where companies treat their workers very poorly because it saves them money or whatever it may be. So it's oh, not man. too um, foreign of a concept, I guess. Yeah. Also, something really interesting to think about that I, I hadn't put together until just now, just how worried about their shares that these people are. But the way that we live on Earth right now, if you're going to space, like you're probably going to be compensated very, very, very well. But the world that they've created here, it's like it's almost like a blue collar job just to even go out into space. That's so weird. I never even like only rich people could go to space right now or properly trained, you know, astronauts and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know how what I mean? sad, though, it's like. Those are the qualifications, either like years of studying and <laughs> like rich. preparation or just being obscenely wealthy. And yeah, and having people just take you to space yeah. for fun. But I mean, I don't know. I, I think that it's very realistic. Like if you look at cruise ships, even yeah. like the wealthy passengers have these like yeah. opulent, you know, lavish places to like dine and eat. And then if you look at the cruise quarters, they can like barely move through a hallway True, because they're yeah. so tiny, you know? So yeah. I think it's very realistic that this mining company or whatever it is, like does the bare minimum to provide for their crew. And in fact, like actively harms them in order mm. to meet the company's like goals and bottom line. Like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't think that this was an intentionally anti-capitalist movie, but Maybe it's just me coming from my own background, but I feel like there's a very clear symbolism or not even symbolism because it's so overt in my eyes, but like this company does not care about its workers and will literally let them die if it means the company gets what they want. For sure. I Something that uh, I'm also surprised about because there's a line said, well, I guess it does actually come into fruition later, but there's a line said by Ripley it's, um, when she's down checking out what the heck was going on with Brett and uh, Parker. And I think Parker's just kind of being an a-hole and she's just like, yeah, I'm, I'm saying you're going to get exactly what's coming to you or whatever like that. I was like, Oh, he's going to be the first to die then, you know, but he ended up being like one of the last people to make yeah. it. And if, if uh, potentially if Lambert had just gotten out of the way, maybe they could have actually done something because he had the, um, like the flamethrower right there. Ah, oh, Lambert. Ah, yeah. what a frustrating I think, character. <laughs> I think that that is, um, I mean, there's a lot, like I said, very problematic in regards to gender with this movie. Yeah. But I, I, I would think at the time, like having two women and a black man be the last survivors was like probably pretty unknown. I mean, like yeah. even in horror movies nowadays, like that's the trope that like the black character or like the clear character of color is always the first one to die, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, not erasing any other problematic stuff because there's, I mean, quite a bit in this film, but, um, like I was, I was surprised by that component of it. Um, did, did you know that Ripley was originally written to be a man? No, I did not know that. Yeah. Again, there's so much trivia. Like I couldn't. <laughs> yeah. So that's like even before I watched this, um, I I knew I had like read oh. that somewhere. But yeah, they originally wrote Ripley's character to be a man, and then somebody huh. was like, "Why don't we make this character a woman?" And then they were like, "Oh yeah, why not?" You know. So I mean, even that in and of itself is cool. There's definitely some like issues with, I'm sure with the rewrite, like the 
original male character probably didn't like scream and hide when the face hugger like came down from the ceiling. So right. there's obviously some issues there, but um, for its time, I think the fact that there was like a, a, a woman who was really the lead character in a sci-fi, like a gritty sci-fi thriller, you know, movie was probably yeah. like a, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's like a pretty big deal. Yeah. Yeah. That, no, I think, I think it was really cool. And obviously Sigourney Weaver did a, a, a bang up job. You know, was this her like breakout role? I have no idea. Do you know? I don't know. I could see it being, but I, I I think it was. I don't I think she was in stuff before this, but I think this was like really what got her like on the map, which is great because I love Sigourney Weaver. Yeah, and well, because I'm sure Ghostbusters came after that, right? Like pretty yeah, well. Wasn't after Ghostbusters that? like eighties? Yeah. I mean it's not too far off from seventy nine, obviously, but yeah. I wanna say early eighties or something like that. Let me just real quick, because I'm actually really curious about that. I'm looking at her filmography now. Somerset, Annie Hall, The Best, blah, 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 Alien. Yeah, I would probably say that this was most likely her breakout role or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, good. And then Ghostbusters came out in 1984, which obviously was another solidifying thing. Wow, I didn't know that Aliens came out so much later. When did Aliens come out? 1986. Like I'm surprised that it, oh, so almost a full decade. Yeah, that's actually really surprising. Um, I know I've heard the story of because James Cameron, I believe, did that one. Oh, I didn't and, know that. Uh, I could be wrong. Gosh, me, how old is James Cameron? Too old. I feel like he'll have made something in like the 2010s, and then I find out he made something in 1980. I'm like, no, yeah, I'm seeing it right here. Uh, directed by James Cameron, and the screenplay was by James Cameron. Hmm. Um, but I know that his pitch, I think he went, <laughs> I've heard the story, maybe it's just a legend or whatever, but, um, I think he went in with the executives and, or producers or whatever, and just had like a whiteboard or a poster board or something and wrote alien and then put the S on and then put the dollar sign lines in it. And that was his entire pitch. And they were like, all right, <laughs> like, let's make this. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, that is that is pretty good. I could definitely see that because I mean it it grossed, it was like ten times the amount that it was made for. It sounds like yeah. right, yeah. And and probably at that point, after so much time had had passed, I'm sure it had become kind of that big, not necessarily Star Wars ish, but you know, like like the lore and all that stuff, and people probably really gravitated towards it. Yeah, the franchise like really really got fleshed out for sure. Yeah. So that yeah, it was probably a no brainer. You're like, yeah, let's <laughs> it did really well and people already know the character. Just like really strong IP. Yeah. And now I'm interested in watching Aliens because I know I've heard that it's more action oriented than um than this movie. This movie's more of a, you know, like scary movie. So it would be interesting to see how they tackle this same type of thing. What's the does do you see the synopsis of Aliens on there? I'm wonder I'm curious what like the setting is and stuff. Um let me see. Yeah, because it's like Sigourney Weaver's in it as again. It's like yeah, I think that she's in like the next four. I think she's in like five really? of the Alien movies. Yeah, I'm like, why would you ever go back out into space after that? Uh, <laughs> I would never do that. Um, 1986, Aliens. Fifth, whoa, fifty, what? Fifty-seven years after surviving an apocalyptic attack aboard her space vessel, vessel by Merc merciless space creatures officer ripley awakens from her hypersleep and tries to warn anyone who will listen about the predators about the predators 
57 years? Hypersleep allows you to like live for 57 years? I think like in theory, <laughs> like sci-fi hypersleep is you can live like for tens of thousands of years. What the frick? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I guess I guess that's the way it's usually depicted in sci-fi stuff. Yeah. 57 years. Wow, she was No. That see that doesn't make any sense to me. It's like how how could the ship contain whatever it needed to to make sure that she stayed alive like the hypersleep what does it do just like petrifies you or what the frick i don't know but that's like (laughs) a thing on space travel i i did see in trivia that um if you listen closely in the credits or something like that like you can hear the pod opening or something like that so suggesting Mm. a sequel but obviously the sequel didn't happen for a long time i wonder if ridley scott did not want to make it or he just wasn't tapped for it or I don't know. I'm actually surprised that he didn't make the second one. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. How much more do you have to say about this movie? I don't think... Um, oh, I was going to... I don't know if you saw this on the trivia, but um, when the person who created the the face hugger like prosthetic, the physical design, they were flying into the U.S. Oh. And the U.S. US Customs flagged it because <laughs> they saw the face hugger in the luggage Yeah, and was like, what is this? Yeah. So like one of the producers or whatever had to come to the airport and like tell them like, this isn't real. This is like a set, like a prop <laughs> yeah. for a movie or whatever. Yeah. But I was just laughing. Like, could you imagine being like, like the customs worker and being like, um, what is this? I, I would have <laughs> like, been like, I'm, I'm flying from area 51. Don't worry. It's classified. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> but I was just like, I was just laughing at that scene. Like that would be, absolutely terrifying no to like <laughs> come across that yeah. yeah imagine the guy uh <laughs> handling that that's that's actually really funny i know i thought you were gonna say um i believe it was the face hugger originally it was supposed to be like green or something like that but um before they painted it whoever was in charge of it like looked at the face hugger and was just like no that looks really creepy and like flesh-like the way it is uh-huh. i agree i think that the color was perfect it's oh, yeah. so creepy yeah. like Ugh, Good call. It's just gross. Good call yeah. for sure. Green would have been like a little too like on the nose. Yeah. Like a little too like uh, old school sci-fi. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that when they were designing the uh, the look for the xenomorph, the big alien, I think they might have had some mock-ups with, with it having eyes, but then they uh, uh, eventually decided not to go with that because it looked more cold and, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. So I thought that that was obviously a good call as well. They Yeah. Again, like sure like things don't hold up and it's not nearly as scary as it probably used to be but like the set design and the practical effects as far as like the aliens and the look and everything like amazing job for sure yeah i agree i i'm like really glad that we watched this because i feel like well one it's just a classic sci-fi movie i feel like anyone who really likes sci-fi needs to watch it at least once but two it's just really cool to like watch it and sort of watching it from 2022 and being like oh i can see how this movie has like directly impacted sci-fi as we know it now and sci-fi horror yeah there's just like um really clear like themes or like uh set choices and and things like that so it's really kind of cool to sort of have this window back in time to see like oh this movie sort of planted the seed for sci-fi horror and now we have all of this other stuff from it so yeah. i i thought it was 
it was an enjoyable thing to watch. Not like my favorite movie, but like definitely one that I respect and am glad that we watched. Yeah, for sure. I like if it's if it's ever just like on, like I'll go ahead and watch it for sure. But I don't, I, don't, I might not seek out like you know watching it again, <laughs> which is fine. Our next uh, six episodes will just be each of the franchise spinoffs sequels. Oh my gosh, no, <laughs> no. Um, uh, that's actually funny because. You just reminded me at the at the very beginning you were talking about your fatigue by superhero stuff, but like your first options of movies that you wanted to watch was all the Batman movies. So that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> just classic Batman, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's to- that's that's fine. It's funny. Oh, I guess I did want to bring up, although they kind of like remedied it later when Ash was just like, "Hey, I got this detector or whatever." <laughs> it's it's uh by air shifting or something like that like air density it, it measures air density and then dallas puts his hand in front of it i'm just like this thing is useless i <laughs> you know what i mean like your eyes will be able to see this thing unless the lights go out i suppose yeah um your eyes will be able to see this thing before this probably picks it up like i don't yeah <laughs> it seemed pretty also i just love that it looks like a leaf blower <laughs> yeah that too. but well i think that's an interesting scene though because well for one i was like you rigged that thing up awfully quick like mm. to have this or whatever. Yeah. And then two, it's also like, this is incredibly useless. But when you learn that Ash is like a bad guy, yeah, it kind of makes sense, you know, like, okay, of course he would sort of provide this blanket comfort to them. Like, yeah. Oh, you have control over the situation, but in reality, it's just a useless yeah. piece of garbage, you know? And Ripley's complaining about it too. Like Ash is using Yeah. It. I think that you could definitely like tie that back to like modern corporations in the real world, right? Where they sort of give you all of these like safety features, quote unquote, but like none of it really protects you, you know, or like Mm. often in the pursuit of like uh, money or whatever it may be, Mm. like companies will, uh, you know, say like, oh, our, our products are like really good for the environment or like, you know, they sort of provide you these services or like pandering to you to make you feel like, Oh, I'm, I'm safe or I'm being responsible. But like at the end of the day, it's like not helpful in tackling the problem you're trying to address and stuff. So I think that like reflecting on that and realizing that Ash built this like pretty crappy, (laughs) (laughs) like monster detector, it's very understandable. And I love that. Like, yeah, you have Sigourney Weaver, literally like complaining about it <laughs> under her breath <laughs> yeah. she's like oh this is garbage yeah. no it's funny it's it's unclear to me though um because later on lambert is in my head she's using the exact same detector but all of a sudden it has like this scanner on it is it the same thing or is it different i don't like obviously the scanner is way better <laughs> if it is a different device i don't know why they ever use the other thing yeah i don't know what it was that i don't know yeah they only use it like once or i don't i don't know what that was yeah yeah i don't know but that was actually a really good scene. I enjoyed that scene um, when Dallas was like going through the air ducts because I was actually kind of like, oh man. But then, but then the reveal of the alien just like yeah. popping his arms out was like, okay, never mind. It's like, ah. I thought this was gonna lead up. Yeah, that was one of the times where you're like, okay, this is a human yeah. in an alien costume. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is very like human yeah. movement. I, I I was laughing when you said that um, the cat had the most jump scares because I was like. <laughs> You're right. I think I jumped more at the cat yeah. scenes than I did at the alien scenes. Oh, it's true. It's so ridiculous. And that was, that was another frustration of mine. I'm like, hey, Ripley, it's just a cat. Like, I like, why are you going back to save this thing? I don't know why you're so worried about it. Like, it's just a cat. Yeah. 
And the thing that's so funny too is like when she does have the cat in the kennel, she she is like like flinging it everywhere. She like at one point she puts it like sideways and like hits it against the wall. That's true. Okay, this cat is dead. Like it would have been making a lot more noise. It would have been like yeah, like it's like those scenes where people are like in a corporate office in a movie and they're carrying coffee and you can tell that it's like an empty cup because it's like sideways, you know, that's just what I thought of when I saw her carrying that cat thing. I'm like, she is not acting like there's a cat in here. Like she's just swinging it around. Well, it was funny because I wrote down the note, like, man, she really cares about this cat. And then not like two seconds later, I had to write the note down until the aliens there. Cause she left it. (laughs) Like, (laughs) She leaves it multiple times, too. But then she goes back and picks it up and whatever. I was actually worried, though, because I thought that they were going to play around with... Because she left the cat. The alien didn't do anything with the cat, even though we clearly see the alien like right in front of it. Mm -hmm. And then she picks up the cat later, and I thought for sure there was going to be some like eggs implanted in it. A little baby face hugger. And I'm just like, Ripley, like definitely don't grab the cat now. I... (laughs) Maybe maybe that's um the plot of the second movie is she's in hypersleep and then that at that time she's sleeping the cat is, has been incubated and <laughs> there's little little baby aliens yeah. the cat sized aliens running around the ship. Oh, that would be so cool. <laughs> that would actually be really cool if it was built into the lore where uh whatever the host is um that the face hugger attaches to it kind of gets some of its uh features. Um yeah. but anyway, yeah, it, a decent movie. Oh, yeah, last question that I wanted to ask you. because I don't know if it was... Because obviously there's a scene where Ash... Oh, I guess two things that I want to point out. Ash, you know, starts going berserk and, like, um, trying to kill uh, Ripley or whatever, you know, incapacitate her. Um, and then flings her into that room where there's clearly a bunch of porn that's up on the wall. Mm-hmm. Whose room was that? And how messed up is it? Is like, is it for them to think that it's like, yeah, I'll just put up all this nasty stuff, like, <laughs> for everyone to have to look at? Well, also, it's like in an open space too. It's not like a private room. And then too, it's like you don't live here. You're like in hypersleep for the majority of this trip. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's like, wow, dude, you can't. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> I think I think it might have been Brett's room, but I don't I don't know. That for sure. makes the most. I was. Because there's that scene where he's, like, flipping through the magazines and just saying right all the time. Yeah. I think that might have been his room, but Mm. honestly, I have no idea. No. But I was thinking the same thing. I was like, what? Yeah. No, that that makes the most sense. I would would assume Brett. I can't imagine it would have been Dallas or Ash. Obviously, I don't know what Ash would have any use for anything like that (laughs) if he's a robot. But Just a bunch of, like, (laughs) tools, nuts and bolts. It's like, I really need to study the female anatomy. Um, Anyway, so... I just thought that that was funny um, and just really inconsiderate of whoever that was, uh, probably Brett. <laughs> so rude. Yeah. And uh, and then I, I did really want to point out, because I, I believe that my favorite scene in the entire movie is when um, they're, like, interrogating Ash and with his, like, the effects were amazing. Like, I thought that it's like, really disturbing and really gross, and I was just really impressed with how well it held up that, like, his head was like severed and just like kind of sitting there and talking to him really well done for sure um were there any standout scenes or shots to you i think like the classic alien scenes where you see the alien for the first time and it has like its little mouth that comes out of its big mouth and stuff Mm. obviously all the cat jump scares those were uh (laughs) top tier 
Um, but yeah, I thought that like the, well, I was reading that, um, Ash being a robot wasn't in the original script Yeah, and some that. of the writers didn't really want that in there, which I can see cause it kind of feels a little bit distracting. Sure. Um, it makes sense though. But, um, I think that the scene where he has like head gets ripped open and stuff is like very, um, graphic and memorable, I guess. <laughs> also, I mean, you should go see the scene, the, the cut scene where Dallas and Brett have like. Mm. they're covered in the eggs or whatever but i think if they had left that in there that would have been really memorable as well because it i don't know there's just something about this notion of like your body no longer being your own yeah that's like really creepy to me you yeah. know no yeah this the whole design and everything thought up behind the alien and all the stuff is yeah pff, they really were they they did a good job on that for sure yeah i don't think uh i don't really think i have anything else to talk about except for maybe am i missing any trivia things that i wanted to say oh oh i know that with the uh with the cat um like acting scared when the alien showed up they actually put like a german shepherd in front of it to make it (laughs) well they had so they had like a they had a barrier and so the cat would look normal and then they removed the barrier and the german shepherd was there and then it's like opened his eyes wide it was like whoa (laughs) so that's so sad (laughs) it makes sense though it's probably the only way they could also they used four different cats for the movie oh interesting yeah they couldn't have just one apparently i don't know um maybe it kept passing out and it died in its little (laughs) spacesuit i'm just kidding uh, little cat spacesuit. Yeah. No, Sigourney Weaver probably killed it when she whacked the <laughs> case against the wall fifteen times. Yeah, they didn't think to. <laughs> She's like telling everyone on set, like, "Are you sure we shouldn't remove the cat while I'm doing the scene?" It's like, no, it's fine. We have three more. <laughs> I I wonder why they used four cats though, because it's not like it's in a ton of scenes. Yeah, I know. I don't. Yeah, I have no idea. I don't know. Oh yeah, last last little trivia item that I thought was interesting, and it was kind of noticeable a little bit. Much of the dialogue was developed through improvisation. So, really, yeah, it was actually, and and the first time that I really like noticed it was when I think Dallas died, and Ripley was just like trying to get everyone to listen to her, and Parker's just like, "I'm gonna go out and kill this thing" or whatever. It just seemed more authentic at that point. I was just like, "Yeah, I agree." Yeah, it sounds like she's actually pissed because she kind of like. She's like talking and then he says something and then she sort of like interrupts herself to respond to him yeah. and then keeps on talking. And I remember thinking like, oh, that's interesting because normally like dialogue is pretty linear. Yeah. But she sort of self-interrupts to talk to yeah. him. So that, that makes sense that it was – I'm surprised though a lot of it was improvised because – I mean who knows how accurate the trivia item was because I, I think people write it in IMDb so – yeah but um people yeah well i mean like just regular people oh yeah there was there was another piece of trivia that i did notice that as i literally said the sentence i completely forgot and blanked out on so we're not gonna talk about it um yeah unless there's anything else uh that you wanted to tackle or talk about i think that about wraps up our discussion on alien no i don't i don't have anything else i like i said i'm just i'm glad i got to watch this like classic sci-fi horror Mm -hmm. and um, it's always good to sort of see where current sci-fi and horror movies come from. And it was just a really enjoyable um, experience to finally watch it and be able to discuss it. Yeah, for sure. I It was it was good. Uh, I liked the music, too. The music was actually really well done, too. I agree. I really liked the music, too. I thought it was um, very intentional, yeah. like just really, really well done. Yeah. Well, well done. Ridley Scott 
you have a few good movies. Um, no, just a few. No offense, I'm not gonna lie. I don't think he's actually that great of a director, at least anymore. I feel like everything he comes out with isn't uh, well received anymore. So, yeah, I heard I, that's what I've heard too. I don't really know a lot of his his stuff, but I've heard that a lot of his more recent things mm-hmm. get pretty bad feedback. That's, that's the way it goes, man. I think uh, it's it's hard not to get older and just kind of uh, lose your. Lose your stamina on the. What else has he made recently? Because he's made Aliens, yeah, Alien, and then um, Blade Runner is his other really big franchise, right? Which honestly, I didn't really care for that much. I haven't seen any of the Blade Runner movies yeah. either. What else is is he known for? A lot of other stuff. Well, he did Gladiator, I believe. Um, oh, that's right, that's right. Which is a great film as well. Honestly, that's yeah. I'm not super familiar. I just remember. Um, uh, he did a he actually you mentioned Robin Hood earlier. I thought you were gonna talk about this one, but really Scott made a Robin Hood film with oh shoot. What's his name? The same guy who's also in Gladiator, the main character. I Russell Crowe? Yeah, Russell Crowe. I think that's the Robin Hood that Oh really? They got made fun of with the the suits because oh. it's like so futuristic looking almost. Well there you go. Yeah. I thought that that movie was not very good. Oh, he also <laughs> directed The Last Duel. Right, which yeah, just, that just came, came out, out recently, and that didn't. Get um, good. And the House of Gucci. Okay, that's right, that's right. Cause, he did the House of Gucci. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. But um, I remember, didn't he like go on some tirade about how like young people are ruining the movies or something like that because the last duel did so poorly? Yeah, maybe. I just remember seeing some like you mentioned that he's like sort of like getting older and getting out of touch, and I think that that's like one thing. Well, it's, that's like one thing I remember is that he was sort of like complaining about younger generations ruining the movie going experience. I disagree because I feel like I'm totally, unless he doesn't classify me as a younger generation, maybe I'm past that generation. I don't know. But I think he was just upset because The Last Duel didn't do very well. <laughs> yeah. I was like, you're just not a good filmmaker anymore. I'm sorry, man. Yeah. Maybe you'll have another hit at some point, but I think you've just kind of, because Quentin Tarantino, um, whether you like him or not or whatever, I think he has a good idea of because he believes the same thing that i do it's like at a certain age you just you're kind of done oh interesting your output your output isn't going to be as good as it used to be um so he has kind of like this i don't know if he'll follow it but he he has this like 10 film rule he has one more film and he says that he's done after that interesting because he doesn't think he's going to make anything better anymore i didn't know that yeah yeah i mean i think that like you can get old and still like be good at what you do but when you sort of start sort of losing the thread or like you aren't really uh taking responsibility for the failures of your own work or whatever or (laughs) you're not really interested in like really probing and like pushing your art making to like a new level if you're sort of just stagnating um i think that that's like an issue but yeah yeah i don't know i don't know i haven't seen last duel maybe i'll check it out one of these days but Maybe I'll think something different. Maybe I'll actually like that movie. I have no idea, yeah. but uh, I just know that he hasn't been getting that much uh, good reception. I mean, I guess Martin Scorsese is kind of the ex- exception to the rule because I feel like I don't know if you ever saw The Irishman. That was more of a recent uh, like Netflix film, but it was like three hours long. But it was uh, <laughs> your face. You're so annoyed by that, but it was actually really good. I actually liked it a lot, and I'm like, okay, so it's not always you know, the case. Because Martin Scorsese still has some good stuff. As long as you can keep your finger on the pulse, right? But just yeah. like, I mean, I didn't really follow the last duel stuff, but it sounds yeah. like 
uh, Ridley Scott just really bashed on the audience and people were like, we're not going to go spend like $15 to see a movie that we don't know anything about. <laughs> yeah. And maybe spend some more money on marketing because those trailers, I was just like, this, the idea of this looks lame. I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I don't need to go see Plus, this. Plus, isn't it like a King Arthur like remake? Maybe. Or something. I just, I feel like everyone's done that, but I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, Alien was good though. Yeah. Well, yeah, whatever. I'll just leave it. Yeah, and Alien was good. We don't need to keep talking about uh, whatever. Cool. Well, again, <laughs> if you if you hadn't seen Alien, but you listened to the episode anyway, you could go check it out on Prime Video. For free. Maybe you won't want to watch it because uh, we thought it was good, but not necessarily like the greatest movie in the, in the world. I think if you're a fan of sci-fi and you like horror stuff, it's a good film to watch just to... Respect your elders. Yeah. In the cinema world. And regardless of that, if you are just, if you go to movies for the set design and stuff like that, you will definitely like this movie for sure. You'll get or something cats. Out of it. Or cats. If you love cat jump scares, you will love this movie. <laughs> and and maybe, maybe give it, if you've already seen it, give it another watch. See if you can spot the differences in each cat. Maybe <laughs> the lines are slightly different. But that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, the next film that we're going to cover, and I keep, I do a bad job. I really need to tell you what it is before. No, <laughs> so I like, uh, I, I mean, I could have texted you, but I kind of like to be surprised with our listeners, although I guess they're not as surprised, but whatever. I thought, I thought it would be, I kind of wanted to find something that wasn't rated R for once after <laughs> so many rated R movies. It's like, we should probably do something that's like PG-13 or PG, um, but... I don't know if you've seen this film, and I'm always selfish. I just want to watch another film that I've already seen. <laughs> Hunt for the Wilder People is going to be our next film. Yeah, I've seen it. I Well, this will be then our first episode that we'll be covering a movie that we've actually both seen. Taika Waititi, right? Yes, directed by Taika Waititi, who has also done... Um, uh, Finding Dory. No, I'm just kidding. He did. <laughs> <laughs> he did. Uh, what do you do? Thor Ragnarok. Um, and he's doing the new Thor Love and Thunder movie as well. He also did. What's the the uh, World War Two? What's that one? Crap. Have you seen this one? Oh, oh, uh, Jojo Rabbit. Yes, that movie's great. I love um, how you described it as the World War Two film. I wouldn't. <laughs> I, that's not the the way I would have described it, but well, it said World War Two. I don't. <laughs> yes, no, I get you. the the Hitler as the imaginary friend movie. Yeah, that would have been a better thing to say for sure. Um, that's a great movie. I love that movie, by the way. Yes, it is. I actually like Hunt for the Wilder People better, but mm. I think Jojo Rabbit is um amazing in its own in yeah. its own right. But yeah, that came out in 2016. PG-13, available on Netflix at the time that we're recording this right now. So you can watch for free if you want, or not necessarily for free, but if you have Netflix, it's there. This episode on Hunt for the Wilder People will come out on March 7th, which is the first Monday that month. So check it out, watch it, get ready for it. Fantastic film. I don't want to say too much, and honestly, it's really hard to describe. Uh, you should just watch it. So uh, it's it's more of a heartwarming story, I think, and it's very comedic and very funny. I think it's going to be a nice, lighthearted film-ish that uh, might take us a little away from all the darker stuff that we've been doing. It might be a little nice of a change of pace. So I'm excited to cover this, and it's one of my... Uh, I only watched it for the first time, I think, last year, and I was floored by it. And 
uh, it might be one of my favorite films. I'm excited. And uh, yeah, it'll be our first film that we've actually both seen. So <laughs> it'll be cool to cover it in a kind of different light a little bit. Yeah, if you, if you have anything to say about that film, you can always write into layersoffilmpod at gmail.com. We'll try to get to your emails. We have a lot to sift through, but, you know. Yeah, there's just there's so much garbage that we get that we just can't say them on, on the show. I just, just lots <laughs> of, like, companies asking for them to be endorsed on here and stuff. Just, like, a lot of product yeah. deals and, you know, just really got to sift through it. Yeah, I let... <laughs> I, I, I just... There's so many to turn down and... Yeah, just <laughs> whatever. Anyway, so yeah, get excited. I'm excited. Thanks so much for listening to the episode. And uh, we will see you guys or listen or whatever next time. Bye bye. See you later. Mm-hmm.